I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick an obscure topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is the Great Boston Molasses Massacre. Boston Molasses Massacre. It's like a fucking Eminem rap. The Great Boston Molasses Massacre. Sitting in the back of the track. And the-, the Great Boston Molasses Massacre, a.k.a. the Great Molasses Flood, a.k.a. the Boston Molasses Disaster. What is the Great Boston Molasses Massacre? Well, on January 15th, 1919, in the north end of Boston, Massachusetts, an enormous storage tanker filled with 2.3 million gallons of molasses weighing approximately 12,000 tons burst. The resulting wave of molasses rushed through the streets of Boston at an estimated 35 miles per hour, killing 21 people and injuring 150. The event entered local folklore and residents claimed for decades that on hot summer days, the area still smelled of molasses. For most people, molasses is just a small, dark brown jar that sits in the back of their kitchen cabinet, only coming out on special occasions. But the process of making molasses, pressing sugarcane, and boiling its juices until it's crystallized was developed in India as early as 500 BCE. Molasses was first exported to the United States from the West Indies to make rum. It was part of the slave trade triangle between Africa, the Caribbean, and New England. Slaves from Africa were taken to the Caribbean, where they were traded for molasses which was then brought to Africa to trade for slaves. High taxes were levied on molasses by the British via the Molasses Act in 1733, but the colonists ignored the taxes so much that the British reduced the duties in 1764 in hopes that more would comply. The high tax rate ensured a practical monopoly on the North American sugar market for the British West Indies sugarcane growers, who were now not competing against the non-British colonies. Up until the 1880s, molasses was the most popular sweetener in the United States because it was significantly cheaper than refined sugar. After the end of World War I in 1918, refined sugar prices dropped drastically, resulting in consumers moving from molasses to white sugar crystals. Obviously, that's fucking dark. The fact that they're just like trading fucking human beings for this brown goop or whatever. I am not going to lie to you. I don't think I've ever had molasses before. That's what I was going to that's that's literally what I was going to say. I have had molasses. I've I've it's I've had it in things. Like if you've ever had like there's there's tons of cookies that call for molasses in the recipe. So I'm sure you've had it. I've actually like tried molasses straight like just to see what it tasted like. Um but the thing I was going to say is molasses is one of those things where like it's a consistent at least for me it's a consistent part of your life, something that you're very aware of and that you see and interact with regularly. But the moment that you move out of your mom's house, you never hear or think about it again. <laughs> there has to be a German word for that. There has to be a German word. You know, die Umfelschlacken. It's just like uh, things that only a mother has uh in in their house yeah m- molasses hydrogen peroxide uh like uh steel wool these are these are things that i've not thought of in 25 years no that, that would mean i moved out when i was like seven some 15 years some whatever whenever i moved out <laughs> uh and I, I i have not thought about molasses i forgot it existed until we started doing this episode and i was like oh yeah that stuff I think I th- I think before we started doing this, my preconceived notion of molasses was like something that they stopped serving after like the wagon train era. You know what I mean? Like I you always see it in like old westerns and shit where people are like, I'm gonna have me some molasses, you know? It's definitely like the jazz of like recipe ingredients where like it's still there. Like you can go and buy it at the store. But as we kind of just covered, it majorly fell out of prominence to the point where it's like it's a specialty item 
where there are specific recipes that call for it and people use it for specific reasons, but it's a not a, it's not a common item at all anymore. Maybe maybe we should bring it back, you know? Maybe we should just make molasses great again, you know? Yeah, bring back molasses. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Like I remember trying to eat molasses straight and it was gross. Was it sticky? It's like a, it's like a honey viscous Yeah, it's like a, it's right? like a dark kind of gritty sticky very thick substance. And if I yeah, it's 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 made out of did we did we just cover that and I just missed it? Yes. Yeah, sugarcane. It's compressed sugarcane. Yeah, made out of sugarcane and it's like it's it's like a like it like like we just said it's like a cheaper refined version of just sugar and you know sugar's bad for you you shouldn't eat it eat it straight but when you do eat it it's like oh this tastes pleasant you know it's like having some sugar it's like oh this this tastes pleasant but molasses as as far as i remember it was disgusting to eat by itself i've never had it by itself i've, I've probably had molasses cookies or something but yeah I- it's like molasses cookies i mean there's there's stuff that it's in i don't i'm not i'm no uh i'm no What's the equivalent of a green thumb for food? I'm no... A brown thumb? That sounds weird. But I know that I'm sure we've had it in tons of things. Molasses can be used in a variety of food applications, including the production of rye bread, gingerbread, and some brown sugars. It can also be used as a minor component of mortar for brickwork and as a soil additive to promote microbial activity. But historically, molasses was the principal ingredient in the distillation of rum. So yeah, I don't think I've ever had rum. Can't say as I have, but, uh, you know. Which is probably like, that's actually probably like a very surprising thing to say for most people. But I, I don't really, I don't really drink and neither do you. And I don't, I don't think I've ever had rum in my entire life. I had a pirate era. There was a, you had a, you had a pirate phase where <laughs> that, when you were in your pirate phase, you drank rum all the time. And it's not because you, like, you still were like, I don't like drinking alcohol. It's not my thing. But... I have to be authentic to the period of pirate that I'm trying to be. So I have to just become an alcoholic on rum specifically. Well, I had non-alcoholic rum in order to get the taste so I could stay in character. I lived as a pirate for 14 days uh, in a hollowed out, uh, dilapidated building that I had restructured to look from the outside like a like a pirate ship. And I called myself... Um, Davy Jones, and I called the place Davy Jones's Locker, and I would only eat rum, non-alcoholic rum. Do you know how hard it is to find enough non-alcoholic rum to subsist on? That shit was impossible. Yeah, they only make that in small bat in small boutique batches in the heart of Seattle. Yeah, uh, but I had my crewmates go to Seattle to get it and bring it back because uh, Davy Jones's Locker needs his rum. Arr. 15 men on a dead man's chest, 14 days. That was my favorite. Now nah, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> All right, let's move. I can't even imagine what that would have been. I can't imagine what in that context you could have been about to say that was so inappropriate that you don't want to say it. <laughs> look, look, we're here. It's a family friendly show, except when it's not. So we're good. It was a harmless bit about me being a pirate that went next to nowhere. But we're trying to make this fun because rum and this is an episode that's very sad where a bunch of people died over a really stupid reason. So let's keep going. I think David was just going to admit that he's had a gangbang with 15 pirates. I I can neither confirm nor deny what me and my crewmates got up to in Davy Jones's locker. Very well then. Fair enough. The early 1900s were a great time to live in Boston. The Boston Americans changed their name to the Boston Red Sox and won the World Series five times between 1903 and 1918. The Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum was opened and the Boston Marathon was in full swing. Outing Magazine even called Boston the bicycling paradise of America. This just sounds like every former like hardcore kid vegan friend that I have's like uh, dream you know like oh, you could just bike everywhere on our on our fixies bro and there was a fucking bomb ass like weird art gallery and also I guess the Red Sox or whatever like yeah dude let's fucking go man let's fucking go yeah this is, yeah this is like this is like fucking um 2010s hipster utopia, apparently. The Purity Distilling Company was one of a few chemical firms in Boston in 1919 that produced ethanol for rum using molasses. Oh, right. Yeah, that's that's one thing I actually did know that I kind of forgot is that molasses is used for producing uh, ethanol, which is, as it says, used in rum, but it's also like a fuel source. Like 
my car that I used to have was able to run on uh, 10% ethanol gasoline. So it's basically like a filler. So you're cons- you're using like less gas, but it still functions properly. You can get the special type of gas that has like 10% ethanol in it. Their massive molasses storage tanks at 529 Commercial Street stood 50 feet tall and 90 feet in diameter and held up to 2.3 million gallons of molasses at a time. The harborside tank was used to offload molasses from ships, where it was stored before being transferred by pipeline to the purity plant in Cambridge, Massachusetts. It was first constructed in 1915 after World War I brought an increased demand for industrial alcohol. As New England weather is known to be finicky, on January 15, 1919, temperatures in Boston had risen to over 40 degrees, a big jump from the freezing temperatures of the previous days. And the day before, a ship delivered a fresh batch of molasses, which had been warmed to reduce viscosity during the transfer potentially due to the thermal expansion of the older, colder molasses already inside the tank mixed with the warm molasses and warm weather, the tank burst open and collapsed at 12.30 p.m. Witnesses reported that the ground shook and they heard a loud roar comparable to a freight train. Others reported what sounded like thunder and a machine gun as the rivets holding the tank together popped. Can you imagine, like, you're going about your day in the fucking 1800s in Boston and you're like, Living in a hipster 2010s paradise, man. We've got a fucking art museum, bro, and fucking bicycling capital of America, bro. Oh, God. Death by molasses. We've never had a a molasses tanker explode or had a major art theft in this city. We're fucking, we're fucking knocking it out of the park. Bro, you see this face right here? Is this the face of someone who's gotten all their priceless art stolen before being killed by a molasses flood? I don't fucking think so. Smash cut to that guy in a fucking grave dripping in molasses. And he didn't die from the molasses. He died from a heart attack whenever he learned that, uh... What is Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum got robbed? <laughs> he's just out here and he's just like, man, I can't believe I'm the only guy to survive. And then live on to be like 120 years old or whatever. <laughs> he's 140 years old. Still got the molasses dripping off of him. He's like, I fucking made it. This stuff is hard to get off. It's really hard to get off, but I fucking made it. CNN says that the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum was robbed. No. Ah, 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 ah. Ah, Vermeer. The, the, the coroner is like, yes, he was 140 years old. He lived much longer than most of us could ever hope for. But I just want to clarify that he definitely did not die of natural causes. He died from learning about the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum theft. <laughs> It's all very clear in the toxicology report. I love this guy. I love this guy. Molasses is 40% more dense than water, giving even greater force to the ensuing tidal wave. Oh, also, the other thing that I wanted to say is like, man, like if nothing else, like whatever, AI, fucking machines that are replicating human beings and super powerful computers that can run a billion programs and let you edit. 12k footage without a fan turning on all this technology is great but the one important technological advancement we've achieved in the the last several decades is just living in a world where giant tankers of molasses just don't randomly explode all the time like we we're just like that's that's the real luxury of a modern world is that you're not just like walking around outside one day and then like a fucking milk truck fucking explodes and kills you or something. Just like the weirdest, most embarrassing death you could think of. Like that's that's the real benefit of living in the future. Like we get to we get to die by badass shit. Like fucking getting shot in a Walmart or something. Walking into a 7-Eleven and having our life ended by some 17-year-old named Kyle. Yeah, that's a, that's a good story. But no one's like, oh, yeah, like, you, you know, like those little milk bones that they give dogs as like a little treat when they do a trick. Like one day they were carrying a huge like bucket of those on a little conveyor belt thing. And then the bottom dropped out and it buried me in the bones and I suffocated. Like no, nobody wants to tell that story in fucking hell. Do you think that there's a version of this that's like, like, this is just like on the surface. It's a, it's a charming, funny story when you're like, Oh, it's like tanker exploded and like molasses went everywhere. That's so funny. And then when you read about it where it's just like, 
a scalding 40 foot wall of like molten sugar lava just like vaporizes you. Oh, yeah. This story is only funny through the transformative power of time. Tragedy plus time equals comedy. But this was probably like horrific. 35 miles an hour molasses wall. That's I can't even comprehend that. People dying in like screaming deaths of agony. And it's so fucking stupid because it's a screaming death wall of molasses. Yeah, like oh, emulsified sugar beet cane bullshit, superheated to reduce viscosity for travel. Ah! Ah! Like it sounds like it sounds like a bit from a TV show that like jumped the shark. Like Fonzie jumping over a shark on skis is more believable than this, you know? Like, this does not sound like something that happened in the real world. A guy jumping over a shark on a TV show, that, that sounds like way more something that could have happened. Well, like I said, that's, the, that's, that's your privilege of living in a world where they solved that problem. Future privilege. Future privilege is the real privilege, bro. We all need to be taking stock of People that. People don't talk about it enough. Future privilege, like living now in the year 2023, you're so much more privileged than like a caveman who just like walks outside to take a piss and gets like fucking mauled by a pteranodon or whatever. Or an asshole who lived at the time when you had to have buckles on your shoes. Yeah. What a, what a fucking idiot. Like, I don't know if that kills you, but like you should kill yourself if you had to do that. Can you imagine waking up in the morning and being like, today I'm going to put on my nice white fancy wig. Not my shitty white fancy wig, but my nice white fancy wig. Oh, and I'm feeling a little saucy today. Try corner hat. Yeah, you got You got. You got to wear the tri corner hat. You got to put on the wig and just douse it in powder. Like whatever. Who knows what kind of powder that was? It wasn't Johnson and Johnson's. That's what I know for sure. And then you got to put these buckle shoes on, and then you got to slap some fucking hippopotamus ivory teeth into your mouth. Nah, I'm good. Future privilege forever. We're Nepo babies for for fucking time. Time Nepo babies. Molasses is 40% more dense than water, giving even greater force to the ensuing tidal wave, which reached 25 feet high at its peak and moved through Boston at 35 miles per hour. 35 miles per hour. Like, that is fucking fast for just like a scalding liquid to be traveling through the streets. Imagine somebody running. That's like five miles an hour like if you saw a tidal wave moving at the speed of a human running that would still be insanely scary but 35 miles an hour is like your car is parked and then you just gun it it's just a fucking it's like a it's a honda civic pedal to the fucking metal like from a standstill that's crazy there was no outrunning this because they're out there on fucking horses and shit and like maybe Model T's. I don't know if this was like before or after. Like, no, it's it's definitely when when cars exist. Because if you look at this newspaper article from the Boston Post before it, there's photos of cars. But the, what is the top speed on those old cars? Like 15 miles an hour. What's what's the? I, they probably couldn't go. Yeah, that fast. totally. It's not that. It's not that big. It's not that large. Uh, you know, it's not that fast. They're not that fast. You'd be fucked. You just have to give yourself into the uh, the the dark sticky oblivion. The wave was strong enough to drive steel beams of the tank into girders of the adjacent Boston elevated railway Atlantic Avenue structure and even tipped over a streetcar. Nearby buildings were swept off their foundations and ruined. Several blocks surrounding the burst tank were flooded in two to three feet of molasses. So this is like a story that's like it's on its surface level funny conceptually as you just think about it without really thinking about it. And in reality, it's very horrifying. And it's even more horrifying because of how goofy it is. Like the fact that this is so goofy, but in actuality is like a horror story that you would be traumatized for life if you witnessed. That makes it even worse. So we, we have, a, we have a, a picture of the front page of the Boston Post from, uh, I guess, the day after this happened. Um, and it, the headline is huge, huge molasses tank explodes in North End, 11 dead, 50 hurt. Um, you want to read some of this or? Yeah, yeah. Let's read a little bit of it. Uh, you know, the sub headline says a giant wave, uh, 2.3 million gallons of molasses, uh, 50 feet high sweeps everything before it. A hundred men, women, and children caught in this in sticky stream, buildings, vehicles, and L crushed, uh, L structure crushed. Um, 
let's see here. Is there an actual, where, which, where is the, the graphic design on this? It's very confusing. Tell you, man, future privilege. So it, it has a list of the dead here, unidentified bodies, list of injured, 35 state on dry law list, amendment ratified by five yes, uh, by five yesterday, one more needed to predict national dry day. On January 1st, I don't know what the fuck National Dry Day is, but that seems like really poor timing considering it's like, you know, your whole town got fucking submerged in icky molasses, but also there's National Dry Day that's going to happen. So that's cool. Yeah, is, is National Dry Day like a day whenever they just don't sell alcohol? In I guess so. Yeah. So they're like, you just got fucking wrecked, but you're not allowed to drink. Yeah. So the the actual article starts here. Um, Search for more victims during the night. No escape from gigantic wave of fluid. Internal explosion uh, was caused, says state chemist. It became known last night that W.L. Wedger, state police chemist, is in charge of explosives, who's in charge of explosives, had reached the positive conclusion that the disaster, instead of being due to a collapse of the great tank, was caused by an internal explosion. Mr. Wedger, in his investigation, uh, is understood to have found that the tank was fitted with, uh, with heating apparatus that connected with a boiler. This beating apparatus... Also, just if I'm struggling with these words, it's because this is a super old newspaper and it's a little hard to read. And it's written in Bostonian. It's just written phonetically with a Boston accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm having to translate it. Yeah. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Mr. Wedger was in front of the investigation. Uh, this beating apparatus consisted of pipes inside the tank and its purpose was to make the molasses run freely into uh, the tank carts that were tucked under the Cambridge distillery of the company. Mr. Wedger, after a careful study of the matter, is reported to have reached the conclusion that the great tank of molasses so heated there could have been was so heated there could have been a generation of a mixture of air and gas that would have uh, been an explosion uh, about the same amount as air and gasoline that horses. That horses were, <laughs> oh my God, that horses were blown about like chips, houses torn asunder, and the action section, and the heavy section of other considerations linked to the conclusion of Mr. Wedger, uh, of Mr. Wedger. The windows of the neighborhood remained intact uh, is explained by the fact that the explosive wave in, in such a blow up would be decidedly, decidedly. Uh, different in their different uh, in their effect on the surroundings uh, than would be the case of a dy- if dynamite exploded. Thus, it is understood that Mr. Wedger's formal report will be that the disaster was due to an internal explosion. A 50-foot wave of molasses, 2.3 million gallons of it, uh, released in some manner yet unexplained from the gigantic tank swept over the commercial street and its forefront from Carter from Charter Street to Sol Southerly Southerly I think that's what that says Southerly at the end uh at the North End Park uh, yesterday afternoon ensnaring in its sneaky ensnaring in its sticky flood more than 100 men women and children causing buildings street uh teams buildings teams automobiles and streetcars everything in its path the black reeking mass slapped against the side of the building footing uh of cops hill and then twisted back towards the harbor 11 persons a woman and a girl and nine men uh, were known uh, were known dead at midnight. More than 50 injured were in hospitals and at their homes. Some of them may die. Some of them may die. Oof. Um, dead horses, cats, and dogs have been carted away by the team uh, after team? I, you know, I can't quite make that out. Um, Boston's only trolley freight terminal is in ruins. Most of the big steel trolley freight cars were destroyed. Yeah, and you know that that guy fucked up that chemist like he didn't see this coming like you know you know this you know that meme where people take that screenshot of the credits of Jurassic Park where Phil Tippett is credited as the dinosaur supervisor and they're like you messed up Phil like this is that this is the guy that didn't see the molasses explosion coming 
Did you know that he that that movie was originally just segueing in topic just for a second? Did you know that that Jurassic Park was originally just all supposed to be stop motion? Yeah, there's the there's footage of the stop motion dinosaurs that they did. Like they 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 have like a f- stop motion test for the T Rex in that in that scene where he's introduced. Yeah, I've I've seen that, but I always thought that that was reference footage done to use almost like to CG rotoscope everything over. I didn't realize that they were planning to make the whole movie with stop motion animation and that Phil Tippett got fucked out of it by two guys at Lucasfilm. There's like a Disney Plus documentary about the history of Lucasfilm and one of the episodes about is about uh, Jurassic Park and it was like the whole episode is basically an interview where Phil Tippett looks like he wants to die the whole time. Um, if somebody doesn't know, Phil Tippett is a stop, very famous stop motion animator who did work on um, Ed 209 for RoboCop and uh, did uh, a bunch of stuff for Star Wars and um, a, a cornucopia of, of stuff. He's he's brilliant. He's amazing. His work is great. His new feature film, Mad God, which is streaming now on Shutter, is one of the best things I've seen in years. It's fantastic. I had no idea. Like I'd always heard that Jurassic, those the, that footage from Jurassic Park was specifically reference footage. But it, I mean, it, it is reference footage. But they were planning on making the whole movie in stop motion, like the 1933 King Kong. And while I love Jurassic Park, that is so depressing that we didn't get a giant stop motion live action monster movie in the 90s. Well, it's, I mean, that just that credit is sad where he went from being like the head of visual effects for the movie to just being dinosaur supervisor because then he moved into more of a co- consultation role where it was like, oh, we're doing the CGI and like, oh, we're going to look at references and you're going to kind of you're going to consult on the body movement of the CGI characters instead of actually like, you know, d- designing the visual effects for the movie. So depressing. So depressing. Also, have you watched Poker Face? So are you familiar with what it is? It's a whodunit murder mystery show, right? Yeah, that's it, created by Ryan Johnson. But the one of the episodes, uh, it's just about Phil Tippett. It, it, and Nick Nolte plays Phil Tippett. I mean, he's a it's a it's a fictional character, but it's just Phil Tippett. It's a it's a it's a legendary stop motion animator who's like old and depressed and like just sits in his studio and makes like really esoteric art films that are like secret. They're secretly uh, his his artistic confessions about a murder that he that people think he committed and eventually you learn that it's not exactly that but it's a it's a murder mystery around this murder that happened on the set of a monster movie in the 1960s that he was the stop motion or he was the director of it was the first movie ever directed and then this actress died and then he goes into like seclusion and it's just phil tippett like that's just blatantly what it's supposed to be is there actual stop motion stuff in it yes 100 percent did Phil Tippett do the stop motion? I don't actually, I don't know. I don't think so, but I actually didn't look into that. There's basically like you go into a studio and you see all of this, of the, the, the armatures that he's built for all the, for this short film he's making. And there's a part where you do get to see the actual animated stop motion, but I didn't look into who did it. Then need you to report back. Okay. There big guy. Then need you just do a little googling. Just get on the you googs. Let me know. Special effects by Stephen Powers. Copy that. Well, I don't know your work, Stephen Powers, but I am excited to watch that episode. Oh, no, 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 no. Animation department, animator, Phil Tippett and Tom and Tom Gibbons lead from Tippett Studio. I 100 percent will watch that episode. Phil Tippett did do the stop motion animation in the episode, which I didn't even know that. It just was so clearly, obviously supposed to be Phil Tippett. In his 2004 book, Dark Tide, the Great Boston Molasses Flood of 1919, Stephen Puleo quoted a report from the Boston Post. Molasses, waist deep, covered the street and swirled and bubbled about the wreckage. Here, their struggle to form. Whether it was an animal or a human being, it was impossible to tell. Only an upheaval, a thrashing about in the sticky mass, showed that any life was there. Horses died like so many flies on sticky flypaper. The more they struggled, the deeper the mess they were ensnared. Human beings, men and women, suffered likewise. It, I'm telling you, it's it's on its face goofy, but then as you l- think about the real world implications of what would be happening with a superheated explosion of dark, viscous liquid, you realize that this is like one of the worst, most horrifying ways you could die. No, no arguments here. I really do not want to die in a giant molasses flood. 
That is my new life goal. No death by molasses flood. The Boston Globe reported that people were picked up by a rush of air and hurled many feet. Others had debris thrown at them through sweet-smelling air. A truck was even picked up and hurled into Boston Harbor. After the initial wave of molasses, it became viscous due to the cold temperatures, trapping those caught in its wake and making it difficult to rescue them. Oh my god. So if you if you if you survive, you if you survive the boiling hot temperature of this giant wall of goo, then you get trapped in it and you can't breathe and you they can't get you out. So you just like asphyxiate because you're crushed in it. As you're asphyxi- you asphyxiate like so many Tetsuo's girlfriends in the folds of his skin, but with your mouth just and lungs just filling with fucking molasses. Actually, I'm, this is kind of sounding hot. Yeah, I, I, it got me. When I said it out loud, I realized that it was kind of I was into it. About 150 people were injured and 21 people ranging in ages from 10 to 78 were killed. The dead were crushed or drowned by the molasses or killed by flying and floating debris. One of the most common ailments after the blast was coughing fits. So you know, like, you know that the 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 sugar, the crystallized sugar board, they had such an easy job of coming in and popularizing sugar. They just had to they had to hold just a couple of like, they had to go to a few cities and just do a couple of like live press conferences or whatever, and just be like. You know what uh, sugar's never done? It's never uh, crushed and suffocated 150 people. And everyone was like, what? Sugar? We love sugar. And we cut to just cut to today. This hadn't happened. Maybe we'd all just be guzzling molasses. But once again, future privilege. That future privs, bruh. In a 1983 article for the Smithsonian, Edward Parks wrote... Anthony D'Astasio, walking homeward with his sisters from the Michelangelo school, was picked up by the wave and carried, tumbling on its crest, almost as though he were surfing. Then he grounded and the molasses rolled him like a pebble as the wave diminished. He heard his mother call his name but couldn't answer. His throat was clogged with the smoldering goo. He passed out, then opened his eyes to find three of his four sisters staring at him. It's just, it's such a weird balance though, because that, that, does sound funny it it's it's funny like what was just described like let's just be honest that was just like a hilarious benny hill bit or like buster keaton an old buster keaton silent routine like it is it's objectively funny but also the idea of your mouth and throat being filled and smothered by an endless onslaught of sludge is just existentially horrifying to me. Me too. I mean, even to the point where I'm kind of like, should we ban molasses just so that just so there's no chance that this can ever happen again? Yeah, let's let's get it banned. Let's, can we all just come together and cancel molasses? Re- just red flag laws, background checks when you buy some. Like really, anybody who has molasses around, they should be treated like a social outcast because there's really no good use for molasses. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you have molasses in your home, like let's just call it, let's just call it what it is. You are planning a terrorist attack. Yeah. Hasn't Boston suffered enough? The Boston Strangler. The Boston bombing mass massacre, right? Boston bombing. Boston marathon bombing. That's what I was looking for. Casey Affleck. Ben Affleck. John Krasinski. Man, Boston's been through a lot. And now molasses. Now fucking molasses after all of this shit. Molasses is just out here and it's just like pack the car and have a yard. And then just fucking suffocates you. <laughs> it's like the blob. It's the blob. But uh, it just. The blob. It's the blob. It's the blob. Run, it's the blob. Oh God, it's the blob. Pack the car and have a yard. Ma, help, I'm going to die from the molasses. God rest their souls. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> this is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast 
where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depths and dark corners of twisted imaginations. With carefully curated original tales of terror each week, our deepest rooted fears are brought to the forefront by a diverse cast of voice talent and masterfully eerie sound design that bring these stories to life. We'll give you tales of unnerving encounters with the occult, harrowing hauntings, and sinister seances that show just how darkness knows no bounds. If you're like us here at Chilling Tales and enjoy feeling your stomach filling with dread as dastardly demons dance in your head, make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe now to always be the first to enjoy the horror show. Two. I'm hot, sticky, sweet from my head to my feet. Yeah, Def Leppard. That's that's that song was about this. Pour some sugar on me. They were asking to have the. Sh- they were. They, it, it's a, it's a political song about how the molasses. It's hot, sticky, sweet from my head to my feet. It's killing me. It's destroying our society. Pour some sugar on me. We need more sugar. No more molasses. Pour some sugar on me. Pour some molasses on me. It's one of, one of the one of the most profound political protest songs of our generation or generations past. Yeah, any of the generation. It it defies future privilege. The first responders to the scene were 116 cadets from the USS Nantucket, a training ship of the Massachusetts Nautical School that was docked nearby. They ran several blocks towards the accident and waded into the knee-deep molasses to pull out survivors. The Boston Police Red Cross Army, and Navy soon arrived. Rescuers had difficulty making their way through the sticky swamp and the searches stopped after four days. Many of the dead were so glazed in molasses that they were tough to recognize. Other victims were thrown into Boston Harbor and one victim, Casere Nicolo, wasn't fished out of the harbor until four months later. Doesn't specify if they were dead or not, but I'm assuming that they were. <laughs> They're just living for four just months. Out. They were just like, I'm, I'm just down here. Whenever you want to come get me. No probs, guys. No probs. I'm just going to be held in hibernation in this giant crystal shard of, you know, hardened molasses. But I'm still living in it. It's like a I'm just like down home. here. I'm, I'm just down here sleeping on a little bit of coral reef using an otter as a pillow. Just come get me at any time. No rush. What are we looking at here, Dave? So this is a photo of five firemen um, trying to excavate uh, a structure with just rivers of molasses flowing through them. They're, the river, the molasses is knee deep and the men are wearing protective rain gear. Um, and there's a house that's basically like uprooted from the ground. The house is like on a catty corner angle and they're like pulling, not shrapnel, like uh, large metal rebar planks out of the ground that are, that are obviously, they were at one point underneath this house. And then to the left of them, there is a fireman's ladder that's propped up that has obviously fallen in the molasses and there's like dripping molasses shards off of it, which is just so surreal. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing is like we're talking about like how horrifying it would have been and how painful and like all this shit. But also secondarily, like this whole process was probably fucking miserable for these people for months like this is the this is the equivalent of like fucking spilling uh it, it's like it's like it's like if your animal like shit if you if you have a dog and they just like shit on the carpet and it's like oh god now i gotta deal with this and it's gonna take forever it's gonna have that smell you're never gonna quite get it out like you can't unring the bell of your whole city being flooded with molasses yeah i don't even know how you clean this up like how 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 do you like live while you're trying to you know (laughs) fucking figure out how to extract the molasses from everything yeah like like i said they're months they were they were like 
like, once again, I just returned to the well. I'm not necessarily comparing the events in any kind of meaningful way, but in the same way that certain events, you don't realize how much of an impact they're going to have on your cultural memory and the context of everyday life for you until much later. Like, I don't think anyone outside of New York City quite understood when 9-11 happened. I don't think anyone quite understood, like, oh, this is going to, like, this is going to be all that anybody talks about for 20 years. It's going to become, like, the most plentiful cultural point of of, of uh, reference that we're all going to have for, like, 20 years. This was that level to them, the equivalent of that to them. Like, these people in this city, the this fucking molasses just being everywhere, all over shit, like, this plagued their cultural... Uh, their cultural lives for like 15 years or more. Zack Snyder made a Superman movie about the molasses massacre. George Lucas made a a movie about the ragtag crew of firemen who saved everybody, but it was just like weirdly like supposed to be super progressive, but it was just weirdly kind of condescending. (laughs) Nick Cage has been in three separate movies about it. Yeah, I mean, this is we're talking about the we're talking about the lightest timeline, like the timeline where there wasn't that horrible Oliver Stone, Nicolas Cage World Trade Center movie. And there was there was a movie at that exact scale with that level of nationalistic masturbation. But it was about this. It was about the Boston Malala. <laughs> there's a there's a the trailer for it is a slow motion Nick Cage, like hyper HD you know, uh, you know, there's just like a piece of molasses arcing through the air towards his face and hitting his face and then like smacking it and coming off in like, you know, 180 frames a second. And as that's happening, a like atonal, liminal, echoey, reverb version of everybody wants to rule the world is playing. Everybody wants to rule the world. And on the down notes, it's a different shot. And it's a different person just being submerged in molasses. And Nick Cage, like, reaching his hand out in slow motion, going, Everybody and then just a black screen and in a molasses coated font it just says boston i mean like i said brightest timeline and then a few years later when when he needs money they remake the same movie but nick cage comes back and does it again brightest timeline because they wouldn't do that they wouldn't do that with the world trade center movie because nobody gave a shit about that they're like this fucking sucks but the boston molasses movie that would have been the highest grossing film of all time it's not avatar in that dimension it's boston because those people have taste boston Boston, Boston 2, Boston 3. It turns into <laughs> the first movie is like a one of those like really like schlocky, self-indulgent um movie movies about like a huge real life event, but then they start making sequels and they turn into like a uh, like s- scanner cop like schlocky like like <laughs> exploitation films. Yeah, but Nick Cage is still in all of them cuz he's Nick Cage. Yeah. By the third one, like the budget is like, you know, two hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars of which went to Nick Cage. And he's only in it. It's like those Steven Seagal movies that they make where he's just like in a car, you know, and they like shoot for a couple hours on a green screen of him in a car or whatever. And then they make a whole movie with other actors somehow. Brightest timeline. I want to go. I want to go to there. Cleanup crews use sand to absorb the molasses and salt water from a fireboat to wash the remainder away. The harbor was brown with molasses until summer. Cleanup in the immediate area took weeks, and several hundred people assisting in the effort. It took even longer to clean the rest of Boston and its suburbs as rescue workers, cleanup crews, and rubberneckers had tracked molasses through the streets, spreading it to subway platforms, inside trains and streetcars, and even their homes. Edward Park's Smithsonian piece reported, Everything that a Bostonian touched 
was sticky. After the accident, 119 residents brought a class action lawsuit against the United States Industrial Alcohol Company, which had bought Purity Distilling two years earlier. It was one of the first class action lawsuits in Massachusetts and is considered a milestone in modern corporate regulation. Meanwhile, the company tried to claim that the tank had been blown up by anarchists because some of the alcohol produced was to be used in making munitions. But a court-appointed auditor found USIA responsible after three years of hearings. The company paid out $628,000 in damages or $9.82 million adjusted for inflation. Relatives of those killed reportedly received around $7,000 per victim or $109,000 adjusted for inflation. We talked about this before in other episodes that like it's not that people, it's not that huge corporations don't constantly lie and deceive now, obviously they do, but it's more subtle. But I love it, the idea that like back in the day, they were just like, fuck it. Like we could just say whatever the fuck we want. Like this explosion, it was caused by anarchists and it, they didn't, they didn't believe them. But the fact that they could just do that, be like, this wasn't our fault. Anarchists did it. And that was just like a, th- a reasonable thing that someone would do is very funny to me. Yeah. I'm curious if that's like, is that a reaction to like, are there a lot of anarchists in 19, 19- 19 Boston? Like, is that a thing? Well, I I mean, it could be a combination of the fact that, like, there were a lot of those types of, like, sort of, like, domestic acts of terrorism in some, you know, in, in Ireland and things like that that have happened, that were happening around that time. So maybe there was something like that in the zeitgeist. But also it just seems like anarchists might have just been, like, that particular boogeyman in the same way that, like, communists and uh, are have been in the past and are now for some reason all of a sudden out of nowhere um just this idea of like in in the booming industrial age the idea of an anarchist somebody who just wants to askew askew all like rules and laws would have been like the scariest thing to like a burgeoning capitalist free market society you know and here's here's a better picture i use the term better loosely but of just the 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 a clear view of the carnage that happened based on this explosion. Like this whole, it's it's in ruins. Yeah, it's like basically probably six to eight men standing out in front of this house. Molasses is everywhere. And they're like turning towards the camera and posing and smiling. And uh, the bottom third of this building is just fucking wrecked. Like the whole foundation is just knocked out. Um, the... Uh, there's like a giant chimney i guess you would call that structure and it's just like it's just thrashed it's just fucked um and then there's a photo right another photo right below this one which is like more of an aerial shot showing kind of the center of the town and um an army of men moving stuff to and fro 15 cars all parked around and one two three four five six seven different buildings that are just just heaps of rubble. There's just nothing there, which is fucking crazy. Yeah, it's like, it's just total devastation. Yeah, it's fucking wild. In a sure win for capitalism, an inquiry after the disaster revealed the USIA's treasurer, Arthur Jell, neglected basic safety tests while overseeing construction of the tank. In a sure win for capitalism, an inquiry after the disaster revealed the USIA's treasurer, Arthur Jell, neglected basic safety tests while overseeing construction of the tank, such as filling it with water to check for leaks and ignored warning signs such as groaning noises each time the tank was filled. If the fees or fines are less than the profit, that's just the cost of doing business and not a penalty. Arthur also had no architectural or engineering experience, which makes sense since he was a treasurer. When the tank was filled with molasses, the tank leaked so poorly that it was painted brown to hide the leakage. Local residents even collected leaked molasses for their own homes. One of Purity Distilling's employees brought actual shards of steel from the tank's wall to the treasurer's office as evidence of danger. Arthur replied, I don't know what you want me to do. The tank still stands. A 2014 investigation found that the steel used on the tank was half as thick as it should have been for a tank of its size, even with the lower standards of 1919. The steel used in the construction also lacked manganese, which makes it more brittle. The tank's rivets were also flawed and cracks formed at the rivet holes. Carbon dioxide production inside the tank might have raised the internal pressure due to fermentation. The warm weather also would have contributed to the pressure inside the tank. Its failure occurred from a manhole cover near the base of the tank and a fatigue crack potentially grew to the point of bursting. A playground and a baseball field currently occupy the site of the blast. Residents claim that on a hot summer night, you can still smell the sweet aroma of molasses in the air. I feel like there's a horror movie here about a molasses 
gingerbread man style slasher coming to modern day and trying to hunt down the great great descendants of the guy who designed this machine so if you're a bostonian writer out there please please write this movie i would like to see this yeah also just all of all of nature and science and god himself wanted this thing to explode and kill all these people just all of the the all of the environmental conditions that had to come into play for all these little chemical reactions to be happening and things to build up in particular ways, all for this one nexus point to happen where this thing fucking exploded is just, it's insane. It's wild. It's like the goofiest way for an entire town to just get murdered. Yeah, it's like, it's very goofy, very horrifying, and very astonishing that all these things came into play for this to happen. But on top of it all, it's, it's very, it's just extremely goofy. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. This has been Deep Cuts. If you'd like to find me, you can do so online at heydavebaker.com. Spandrew, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me wading in a rock-solid stream of molasses, struggling to fight my way through and break to the surface for air as my silent dread overtakes my body and leads me into oblivion. And you also can't find me on social media because I don't use social media, but if you want to pay your respects to the dear beloved Papa Pricey, you can go to dapricerights.com. You can pick up his book, Deadbolt AI Private Eye. You can follow us on social media at uh, Deep Cuts Pod on Instagram, Deep Cuts Podcast on Facebook. Join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group where we talk about the show and make memes. You can join our Discord server, bit.ly.com slash Deep Cuts Discord, where we talk about the show, make memes, play games, talk about other stuff, all kinds of stuff. Uh, you can join our, you can go to our shop, deepcutspod.com, click on the shop and buy hats and t-shirts and all that kind of cool stuff. And you can buy the official Mystery Treehouse Molasses to plan your next domestic act of terrorism. Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content. This episode of Deep Cuts was written by special guest writer Tim Madura. If you'd be interested in writing an episode of the show, please email andrew at boygeniusmedia.com.